Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the Worldwide Supply Chain Federation with my friend, Lisa Morales. Hello, How's it going, Lisa? Hello there. Thanks so much for having me. It's going great. Excellent. I'm excited to talk to you about this topic. So please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Sure thing. So you said my name, Lisa Morales. Hello, you got it right. <laughs> and I uh, am a serial entrepreneur, a venture capitalist, and I have 27 years in tech by way of Carnegie Mellon University with a design thinking degree that I applied to data and complex systems over my career. But I really cut my teeth in supply chain the first time around in Silicon Valley back in 1999, where I pioneered the space of mass customization, personalization, and on-demand, one-of-one micromanufacturing, all made in the USA for a company called Procter & Gamble. And they they had created a startup spin-out skunkworks project to see if we could actually do this thing. The company was called Reflect.com, and we raised some venture capital from Redpoint Ventures. But the big takeaway is I became obsessed with customization, personalization, and the concept of only making exactly what's been purchased, and the upside of being able to create something special and unique for a consumer of one. Very nice. Very nice. So give us some career highlights. First off, where'd you grow up? Yeah. Where did you go to school? You mentioned Carnegie Mellon. And then give us some career highlights before you started all this supply chain obsession. I am a Puerto Rican from the Bronx. I grew up mostly in Westchester County, so very affluent suburb of New, of New York City. Is that where the Jets and the, uh, the Sharks fight? <laughs> no. that, that? Was, that was Washington Heights, <laughs> <laughs> where my mom grew up. So I, let's see, career highlights. I worked in the Valley during the first dot-com boom. I lived overseas and married a Norwegian, hence the Hellebo last name. I'm fluent in a useless language. I have... uh, What is that useless language? Somebody thinks it's useful. Norwegian. (laughs) Yeah, I can snack a nosh some Nordman. (laughs) Oh, we have a huge Norwegian following here. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) My Spanish is no bueno compared to my Norwegian, sadly enough. But let's see, I've architected a contextual search engine that algorithmically generated outfits on the fly from over 6,000 brands. And your search results were little photo collages of five items. So a dress, a bag, shoes, and two accessories. And you'd get these search results as these photo collages with the look total underneath it. You could click on it, see the bigger image of the total look with all the individual links to the brands and individual price points, then lock in items you wanted to keep and apply filters of price or color to remix, as we called it, the outfits. And we'd cull through 32 trillion possible permutations per five item grouping to serve up your top 30 new photo collage search results with the new look total and new individual products. That I architected, wrote the patent, 
raised some venture capital, got into Techstars, and in Techstars, I realized that VCs really don't know much of anything about fashion or retail, <laughs> and they won't admit it. But you don't think of fashion or retail as that hockey stick growth, which is what they're looking for, right? They're looking for software, right? Yeah. And that's the thing. They should be looking for outliers and edge cases and areas of opportunity that haven't been digitized yet, but they tend to stick to what they know and patterns that they like to match to. And I just didn't represent any of that. Being a Latina solo technical founder, everyone called me a unicorn. You shouldn't exist. And I'm like, well, that's shameful. <laughs> Less than 0.001% of capital goes to Latina women. And so I ended up shutting down my company rather than taking on $4 million from a fund that wanted to turn me into a celebrity female founder talking about style once a week. I'm like, eh, I'm not your girl. <laughs> shut down so I could keep my IP. And the day after I pulled the plug, I got a call from ASOS, head of global innovation, saying, what happened? You made something we need we've never seen before. And I was like, shut the front door. I couldn't get to anyone like you, didn't know you were following me. So we're fully dissolved. And instead of going into a founder depression, I decided to build and launch the first fashion tech accelerator, the New York Fashion Tech Lab in 2014. And we partnered with all the major brands and retailers, C-suite executives to hand select the companies they thought would add the most value to their bottom line. I thought, I did it. You're welcome, industry. I'm dragging this horse to water. You can drink because the VCs weren't choosing the right things for you, but you can make the decisions now. But unfortunately, what I learned talking behind closed doors to the C-suite of Macy's, J. Crew, Kate Spade, Ralph Lauren, Lee & Fung, GBG, etc., for the better part of a year is that their C-suite is not remotely incentivized to make the hard decisions. And so they've really, what I took away is they couldn't care less if their company was the reason the planet burned to the ground or if their company went under in five years because they just wanted to get their bonus and invested in shiny objects. Ooh, a magic mirror. And I was sitting here going, it's your supply chain, Systems 101, folks. You cannot invest in agile, customized, front-end, consumer-facing experiences with a static back-end. You need to refashion your supply chain. It's interesting. I would say in the last generation, and find that any way you want, we've seen the emergence of design being extremely important. Right. And then we've also seen the rise of supply chains. I joke about this in my podcast, but this is no joke. I was in the biggest, baddest supply chain on earth, which is automotive. And when somebody called me a supply chain guy in an interview, I thought, I don't even know what that is. I didn't say anything, but they kept saying supply chain. I kept thinking, that's not a real thing. That's, yeah. that's not a thing. <laughs> so it's, it's emerged. But what's interesting is supply chains want everything to be uniform. That the idea of customization is difficult costly, leads to waste, leads to complexity. It's the enemy of what you want to do in the supply chain. And if you look at it on the design side, they're saying, as you mentioned, mass customization. When I was still working in automotive, there was a brand new, it was a Jeep, the Jeep Liberty. Somebody sat down and said, theoretically, not, not in real life, but theoretically, we could build these millions of Jeeps and no two will be the same. That's how customized it is. But the the problem is when you go to an assembly plant and go, hey, good news, guys, that 80, 80, 80 Jeeps an hour that we're building, no two are going to be the same. It's tough. Yeah, it is tough. 
And I think in fashion, it's probably even tougher because of the profit margins. Yeah. So it's tough, but it's not impossible. And here's why. So I knew that we had done it 20 years prior in Silicon Valley for mass customized one-of-one cosmetic skincare, hair care, and fine fragrance. Everything down to your millions of possible permutations for your formulations, to your flavor, your scent of your lip gloss, your hair care, whatever, uh, your packaging, everything was customized. And so I left the New York Fashion Tech Lab after the first year, the cohort, because I was angry. I was sitting here saying, you know, I built this this incubator accelerator for the industry and you won't invest in the right things to actually save our planet from (laughs) the impending demise. So I'm going to go and study the apparel supply chain for a year on my own dime and figure out where your disruption is going to come from. And I'm going to invest in that. (laughs) By the way, I was going to say, I have two daughters and they're in their 20s. And for as long as I can remember, I could not buy them anything. Like if I said, what, what should I get your, I always ask, what should I get for your sister for her birthday? It's always one of these fashion brands that is not fast fashion and more sustainability. And so the younger generation is already buying that and willing to pay extra, willing to go out of their way. It's usually not going to be able to buy it via Amazon. Well, no brand wants to sell on Amazon. (laughs) No, I understand. But my youngest daughter got a degree in sustainable business. And she would say 10 years ago, young people are already buying with sustainability in mind and rich people buy with sustainability in mind. We're waiting for the rest. (laughs) Yeah. So I was, I, in my year of study, I wanted to tackle just that. Why is everyone saying it has to cost more and be a less, more earthy, crunchy, less sexy product. So I studied uh, in maker labs, cut and sew shops, ateliers, uh, universities, factories of all different sizes, and tied all my learnings back to what I had done 20 years prior in the Valley with P&G, and then looking forward to the fourth industrial revolution and automation and came up with my own thesis. I really was applying design thinking to the problem set, to digesting all this data and really trying to adjust, uh, address all three sides of this problem. One side being the fashion industry is overproducing by a significant amount. It, just 10 years ago, we used to produce something like 50 billion garments, and now it's 100 billion. <laughs> so that's not good. The fact that All of our production has moved to the the race to the bottom, these regions where you can get such cheap labor, child slave, you know, uh, oh, opacity, it's impossible for us to have compliance. It's so opaque. Yeah, that's a feature, not a bug of the current system. And then 30 to 40 percent of your volume based production, whether it's 500,000 units or 50,000 units, is trash because These brands have to produce in volume. You are never going to get good enough at guessing sizes, prints, and colorways, period, 30 to 40%. So that leads to the other side of the equation, the consumer's demand and being addicted to fast fashion. We don't have enough time to change human behavior. Just look at Shein. Shein popped up out of nowhere and is the most valuable. How do you you spell that? S-H-E-I-N. And it's out of China, just a couple of years old. It's a 
worth a hundred billion, I believe, in just a couple of years, because they're leveraging TikTok's algorithms for instant micro trends, producing digital and then sample garments of the micro trends to post on their website. They produce 10,000 designs a month. Your average brand maybe produces 5,000 a year. (laughs) So the amount of consumption is just insanity. So that we we can't change human behavior. We've run out of time. So the last side of the problem set being the planet. You know, this climate crisis, it is, we're fully in it. And COVID is a symptom, not the root cause of all of our supply chain problems. The root cause is the climate crisis. And the only certainty is increasing consistent risk. So how do we simultaneously solve for all three sides? The solution I arrived at was localization. And that localization needs to consist of two components. This is a distributed collaborative network of on-demand factories where they can get to producing just in time and eventually post-purchase unit of one. Now that unit of one doesn't have infinite optionality like our current global supply chain. It has some constraints. The constraints are the other component, our circular local raw materials. Our clothing is we produce four times the textile waste of any other country in the world. We used to ship it overseas. They don't want it anymore. All these other countries are dropping legislation. We've just started this year to draft legislation to address this. We're literally going to be drowning in mountains of textile waste if we don't invest in circular reuse of post-consumer waste fibers. So that becomes the volume. Your production becomes a unit of one, and your garments can be recycled over and over again. We're sitting on generations worth of fibers. We literally don't need to grow another thing. Right. And I think anybody looking at their closet will admit the same. If you walk in there and you see all these clothes and you go, how much do I actually wear? <laughs> and 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 I think we used to feel good about going to Goodwill, but now you're like, nobody's, this is not, it's not like it's all being used. It's, it's being disposed of. Anyway, let's switch gears a little bit. So you have a few hats that you wear. So you <laughs> yeah. are the one of the founders of Refashion. So tell us a little bit about that. And then talk about that New York group that you guys have, that meetup group. Talk about sure. your, And then talk a little bit about this worldwide supply chain federation that you started. Sure. Actually, the order is backwards. We started with the New York supply chain meetup. Uh, In 2017, Brian and I, my co-founder in the Worldwide Supply Chain Federation and Refashion Ventures, we decided we wanted to hang out with other supply chain nerds. (laughs) And we figured there must be a meetup for that. We're in New York City. But lo and behold, there wasn't. So Brian went and reserved the domain for the New York Supply Chain Meetup on meetup.com. And because he was already a fancy VC, that night, Mattermark sent out an email to newsletter to their 150,000 person list saying that Brian Longaway from KEC Ventures was founding the New York Supply Chain Meetup. And the next day, he's like, Lisa, I did a thing. Can you help me? (laughs) I'm like, yeah, you founded a company. No, I didn't. I just want to have some events. And I'm like, nope, you founded a company. So we hosted our first event in November of 2017. And we thought 30 other supply chain nerds would show up to hang with us. It was 150 people standing room only. And after that first event, we had people reaching out 
to us from around the world saying, I would love to see a recording. I heard about this meetup and I want to do business in New York. So how can we tap into your network? And that led us to found the Worldwide Supply Chain Federation, where in since 2017, we now have over 4,400 members on every continent except for Antarctica, of course, and about 40,000 in Brian and my first degree network of what we call our builders and buyers. So the builders are founders from every walk of life that are trying to do any component that fits into the supply chain. And then the the buyers are mostly C-suite executives at the largest companies in the world. And we create a safe space for them to come together every month to have real dialogues about the latest technologies and how they can be adopted and what the hurdles might be for these C-suite executives so that they can collaborate. We just want to see the best innovations scale. The Refashion Ventures was born out of us having access to this massive community. And when I met Brian, I told him I wanted to build a fashion supply chain fund or a vertical within somebody else's fund. And he said, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard because you're the smartest person I think I've ever heard talk about supply chain. (laughs) And you'll be the junior most person never having your ideas see the light of day. So you're going to have to build your own fund. So we did. And Refashion Ventures started as a rolling fund last July. And since then, we've done 17 deals. What is a rolling fund? Oh, a rolling fund is an amazing vehicle that Angelist came up with. It's really been helpful for Brian and I being Latina woman and an African guy. It's shocking, I know, but hard for us to raise from LPs, just like it is hard for a Latina woman to raise venture capital. From what so, I can tell, it's raised hard for anybody to raise yes. money. That's not in this podcast. I hear, I, I, I've never heard anyone say they've talked to anything less than 100 people to get funded. Oh, yes. But that number is amplified by 100 for people of color and women. So we were really grateful to find Angelus SEC new vehicle where you can raise capital from any accredited investor. And since we have a massive network, the Worldwide Supply Chain Federation, we can reach out to this network. We can openly solicit, which is huge. (laughs) If you don't have friends and family that have family offices, then it's kind of hard to even find people for your first fund because your check size is too small for huge institutional LPs who want to deploy a minimum of $10 million. So we were able to raise $25,000 as the minimum check size called every quarter because every quarter becomes its own fund. So we require that our LPs invest $6,250 every quarter over four quarters so they're diversified. Very nice. Very nice. So it's, it's, it's a good way to get that funding. It's a, it's a scrappier way of getting the funding. Itself. Oh, yeah. And as soon as it comes in, you can deploy it, which we do. <laughs> yep. I'm sure you do. So so to talk a little bit about this Worldwide Supply Chain Federation. I saw Brian, who's been on my podcast. I'll put a link to that interview in the show notes. And how does he pronounce his last name? Away. Away. Like far away. <laughs> He doesn't spell it that way. How does he no. spell it? A O A E H. Yeah. So he's a great guest, as you are. And I'll put that I'll put that link in the show notes. And anyway, the other day I saw on LinkedIn he had posted that you guys started this worldwide supply chain federation. So talk a little bit about that. Who are you looking to to join that? Does it cost anything? Are there meetings? Are, are and tell us a little bit about this because and by the way, I should also preface this. Before we hit record, Lisa and I were talking about 
just the changes brought on by COVID. By the way, I got COVID again. COVID heard me saying that COVID was was fading away. <laughs> it listens to the podcast and then it came and got me again. I've had two vaccines, a booster, and COVID twice. But anyway, that'll teach you. <laughs> we are seeing these the supply chain disruption, and that supply chain disruption isn't going away. We are seeing huge, huge changes in the world, and we have some demographic problems, like with China it's just shrinking shrinking probably to half their current size in the next 25, 30 years. And you can't sustain a country, the political system, when you cut your your size in half easily. Russia might have, part of this attack on the Ukraine is related to their very negative birth rate. They're running out of heads. So the world is suffering from a, a number of challenges beyond COVID and so supply chains are going to be really crazy over the next 20, 25 years. And so a lot of it's coming home. And then we have the sustainability, the climate uh, situation. We are looking at a lot of challenges. So I think it's more important than ever to get involved in organizations and become knowledgeable. What are the options? What should we be doing? And by the way, we also have consumers. Yeah, I joke about this, but it's no joke. My grandparents could, and, and your grandparents, Lisa, could not care less about the environment. Oh, not yeah. at all. Not even <laughs> pretend to care. Yeah. When I was growing up, we didn't care about the environment. It was the 60s and 70s. It was starting to matter, but there wasn't a real sense of it. I joke about this, but it's again, it's just the reality. The world had half as many people and we weren't polluting nearly as much. Well, we were pollute. Our cars were much more polluting, but... um. We just didn't have a sense that it was a real problem. I think now we're starting to see, yes, this is a real problem. So we have so many challenges, and I think it's important that we get together and meet and learn best practices, learn from each other. And that's why these this Worldwide Supply Chain Federation is so important. I will step off my soapbox, and Lisa, you can jump back up on that soapbox and tell sure us Sure thing. It. Thank you. So, yeah, we think it's kind of important, too. And we've had a number of large organizations come to us and say, we've literally tried to build a community around supply chain for years, and they have millions of dollars at their disposal. They've maybe gotten to 300 total members. We have over 4,400, and we've done this with warm water and cold pizza. <laughs> That's the the lore. So we asked our community, why why are you so showing up in numbers every time we have an event? And they said, frankly, it's you, Lisa and Brian. You have such an infectious enthusiasm and passion for this subject that most people think is dry toast. <laughs> and you make it interesting and exciting. You curate who is going to be talking, what topics we're going to be discussing, and you you orchestrate and a real dialogue. Instead of most events you go to, you see someone talk at you for 40 minutes, you get to ask your one question, and boom, you're out of there. And they head for the elevator. So we try to foster real dialogue because I feel like I've, we've all been to conferences and I, by the way, I typically avoid conferences now, unless I'm, unless I really want to get out, out of the house. But what I've noticed is you see the fine folks over at Freight Waves. When they started their conferences, it was like a breath, breath of fresh air. It was new blood. 
And they said, this is the new generation. We are going to do it different. We're going to have fun. And they've done that. Manifest has been on my podcast. They've done a fantastic job with their first conference. The next one's in January. And I think to your point, you mentioned that you and Brian bring this energy and infectious energy to this. And I think that the nature of any organization, even these large organizations that we all join, supply chain organizations, they need a breath of fresh air. They need fresh blood. They need that energy. And so maybe that's what you guys are bringing to the party. And by the way, this is, I know New York has always been known for the garment district, always been known for finance and always been known for being just an energy, a a business energy, a a, a diversity, so many cool things about New York. I never think of New York as a supply chain place. (laughs) I think of, if you want to build stuff, you go to Ohio and Michigan we know, we understand supply chains, and, and but the world has changed that way too because supply chain doesn't necessarily mean I walk out into a factory or I have 25,000 employees. It is happening very differently today. And I think it, it makes sense that we have a brand new kind of organization. Yeah. So our fund is called Refashioned, Refashioned Ventures, because it has dual meaning. Refashioning something means to remake it entirely from the ground up. And that is what is currently happening within our global supply chains. They're being digitized for the first time ever. And then, of course, the refashioned, we want to turn that into a a verb with the letter D losing the E at the end, like our name is, just like Googling something, because we want to have people say, this industry, this vertical has been refashioned. This supply chain, this infrastructure has been refashioned. And that really speaks to the digitization that is going to be equally balanced for people, planet, and profits. You don't need to see uh, doing the right thing as being more costly anymore because of automation, because we're sitting on top of this opportunity of the single largest operating system to ever exist on planet Earth, our digitized supply chains. So we can create efficiencies, especially if we're going to localize our infrastructure like is happening. And according to, I think it was HSBC and BCG, there's a recent report that states we need to invest about $100 trillion in redoing the global supply chain infrastructure. Well, that number happens to match up identically to the global GDP. So our entire global GDP runs on supply chains and the entire infrastructure for it needs to be refashioned and not within even 10 years for us to continue to exist on planet earth in the next three to five. And it's no joke uh, that people don't really understand. There's there's studies that say if we don't have these changes in place now by 2025, they thought it was by 2030, that within the, by 2040, we will not be able to walk around outside without respirators. Yep. We're, we're working on it, but we got to work faster. Yes. So tell us a little bit about this organization. Do, how do we join what does it cost? Uh, <laughs> There's no fee. All that kind of stuff. Yeah, we're open to all. And we were intentional about making it open because we want to foster innovation. And innovation has no demographic geography. There shouldn't be a hurdle to just share your great ideas. And so we've fostered a really diverse community that we're really proud of as a result. Every event is pretty equally 
equally distributed, male and female, lots of different ethnicities, and we have every vertical represented. Even though our fund invests across data, AI, advanced materials, advanced manufacturing, and advanced logistics, most people think of supply chain and they think of logistics. But realistically, because of digitization, everything is converging. And so if you are in supply chain and we have a a talk about textiles, that impacts automotive, space, you know, interiors. There's so many industries that it touches upon. And we, we like to foster that diverse conversation. We have monthly events, either online as of late or before COVID in person. We're hoping to get back to in person. COVID hasn't gone away. I'm, yeah. afraid, I, I'm, afraid, to, I'm, I'm afraid to challenge it now. <laughs> right before COVID, we had our first two-day global supply chain summit at Microsoft's uh, HQ in Times Square. And we had 800 people fly in from around the world to come to our two-day summit. So I'm hoping the next summit we have, we break 2,000 and it'll be, you know, hopefully end of next year. I don't know what the protocols will look like by then, but um, we need to get back to in-person meetings. And, and I would also suggest that a lot of people who work in logistics listen to my podcast. And logistics is the tail. The dog is the supply chain. And so... The people who make stuff, you know, the shippers that we would normally consider, as time goes on, we're going to find, we are already finding that the routine tasks are going to be done by automation, AI, whatever you want to call ML. But what we're, I think the real challenge, and you've kind of touched on a few times, Lisa, is this, we want end-to-end connectivity, want that digital twin so we can start doing scenario planning. And I think all of us in the logistics and transportation space, there'll be a need for less of less and I think this is the opportunity is to add more value by becoming more knowledgeable of supply chains. And I, I joke about it, but I, I'm from automotive. It's a, it's a supply chain all its own. Retail has a supply chain all yeah. its own. And when I say retail, within retail, there's the clothing and then there's the food, right? The food supply chain. There's all these different supply chains. My My suggestion for anybody, especially if you're young, is to recognize that the job you're doing today is probably going to be done by technology very quickly, especially if it's collecting emails and sending emails and getting rates. So I think what we all need to do is say, how can I add more value? And I think that the end-to-end connectivity is a big thing and also becoming an expert in a given supply chain. Yeah. Be be an inch wide and a mile deep, not a mile wide and an inch deep. Yeah. (laughs) Become that, that expert. And, and again, I think, you mentioned sustainability. I think sustainability is a job that probably didn't exist not so long ago, and more and more brands are caring about it. So become yeah. knowledgeable about what materials are sustainable, what processes, what supply chains are sustainable, and which ones aren't. There's just so much, so much opportunity that's going to come our way with these big changes in supply chain. I think this is the chance. Join these, join these groups, become knowledgeable, and grow yourself. Absolutely. If people want to learn more about the Worldwide Supply Chain Federation, they can go to the worldwidesupplychainfederation.com or find us on meetup.com under the Worldwide Supply Chain Federation or the New York Supply Chain Meetup. And of course, you can learn more about Refashioned Ventures at refashion, letter D, dot com. So it's refashioned. I will put a link to all of those. I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile and all those other links you give me. I'll put those in the show notes. So you guys don't all have to write all that down. So you guys are having online events. When's the next event? 
Oh, actually, our, our next event is going to be, what is it, July 21st? We're having, and that's a refashioned LP update event. So we host events across the Worldwide Supply Chain Federation and our fund. And this one's interesting because it's our quarterly update, kind of a state of the union of supply chains that we share publicly. We send a private update to our actual LPs, but we do this video event to share the state of supply chain with our quarterly fund update. And that's on July 21st. By the way, I'm looking at your the website, the Worldwide Supply Chain Federation.com. And I see it says launched chapters. And I think so far I see New York and I see Charleston, wonderful place. I also see chapters coming soon, Chicago, Athens, Greece, Singapore, and others coming online here. So if someone wants to launch a chapter, what does that entail and how, how do they go about doing that? Oh, yeah. Reach out to Brian, brian at refashion.com. And we have people that have licensed the, the chapter uh, structure from us, and we help them tie into our global network. The real opportunity is that, that we recognize and why people are reaching out to launch chapters is that they want access to all the businesses that we have in New York and then within our greater reach. If you're in supply chain, you're in collaboration and you want access to the biggest retailers and brands and infrastructure in the world. And we help to facilitate that dialogue and access. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Lisa, what I'll do is I'll put a link to all those things that I just talked about. We just talked about into the show notes and congratulations on refashioned and this all of these other organizations I won't try and list, but I want your final thoughts on this topic. I know we've gone all over the place, but give us some final thoughts and put a bow on this bad boy. Yeah. So I think that supply chain is the most interesting innovation segment you can focus on because it touches on ESG, you know, the future of our planet, everything runs on supply chains. So if you want to make the largest impact you possibly can with investment or your career, get into supply chains, understand systems, because they're, they're singular nodes, and most people address a singular node. But one thing that Brian and I pride ourselves in is systems thinking. You have to be able to see all the interconnected relationships to be able to actually design the intended outcome. Because no matter what, you are designing the intended outcome, and our past supply chains have designed and optimized for, you know, impact on the planet, toxicity, carbon. We've said, ah, that's not as important as our lowest cost of goods sold. We can source infinite optionality from anywhere around the world. We need to intentionally design the systems that will create the intended outcomes that we need to achieve. Yep. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, good luck on all these organizations. You guys are busy people over there in New York City. <laughs> we sure are. Thanks so much for having me. Yep. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.